and welcome to the Betsy Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We're here on December 28th, 2023. This is recording day. And this episode is actually going to be released on January 2nd, 2024. So happy new year to all who participate. And even more importantly, happy Gypsmas. Happy (laughs) Gypsmas. We are tipsy hoes for Gypsy Rose. (laughs) If only we were. If only. But sober as a bird. But we are celebrating Gypsy Rose's freedom from prison. That's right. You heard it here first. She is out. She's got plans. And we celebrated tonight by watching the act, which is just phenomenal. It stars Joey King and Patricia Arquette as Gypsy Rose Blanchard and Dee Dee Blanchard, the famous, infamous mother-daughter duo who one had the other murdered because she had horrible Munchausen's by proxy. Guess who's who? You never will unless you listen to our Gypsy Rose ep. I'm just thinking about this now. Could you imagine Gypsy getting out and seeing all the people that dressed up as her and her mom for Halloween? Oh, I know. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I... Uh, I mean, I know we said it last week, and we're really excited for Gyps to hopefully interact with Tay-Tay Swift, because she's yes. a big Swifty, and number one on her bucket list now that she's out of jail is to go meet Tay-Tay, but I just, we're so happy for her. Thank yeah. God she's out, because this was a very long, twisted road, and I really, I don't know if there would have been another way out for Gyps other than to have her mom killed. I agree. I don't think, I think it was either she was, it was literally one of them was going to get out alive pretty yeah, much. Kill or be killed. Yeah. It was her mom or, or Gypsy. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. And you know, the, the fact that she was smart enough or had somebody smart enough telling her to take the plea agreement because her co-defendant, um, uh, Nicholas Godijohn is still in there for life. Plus 25 years, I believe. <laughs> so Ooh. he's and not getting whatever out. Whatever comes first. <laughs> <laughs> but he is, um, who he is a freaky dude. I mean, just watching this, the act movie or short special is really freaky. And the actor who plays him, I think was probably pretty true to how he really was. I would think, I think they were all pretty good. Like they must've studied these people pretty like closely. Oh, big time. I mean, Joey King just nails the voice. Oh, Oh my God. Uh, Gypsy Rose, that childish voice. And even we were talking about how Patricia Arquette looks nothing like Dee Dee, but just the way that she gets takes on this creepy persona. Yep. And ooh, I mean, there's a reason she's just an award winning actress. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Gypsy got out apparently at 3 30 a.m. this morning. I guess it, it kind of all began. Um, but we did see some photos of her with her husband picking her up. And cool. one of the first things they did, they actually went to get her some sneakers. So um, while they were out, it was really interesting to see the paparazzi are already kind of swarming them and all all around them asking, you know, oh, what are your plans? Do you have any specific plans? And I, I do kind of worry for gypsy's ability to manage all this attention she's going to be getting yeah um her husband kind of stepped in and I, I couldn't really hear what he said but he kind of like ended the questioning and made him kind of go away but she was willing to like engage with them she's like when they were like um when they said to her do you have any plans and she's like oh lots of them like you know and and so i don't think she was 
she might not have been properly trained or or kind of prepared enough for kind of what she's going to experience coming out. So yeah, I'm sure she hasn't been, you know, prepped properly just for all the questions she's going to get because she probably has no idea how big she's gotten and how big this story is while she's been in prison all this time. Like things have just blown up since what 2015 2016 area when you know the whole murder of the mother happened and gypsy was put away yeah well and you have to think about it too she was so isolated and and infantilized before this all even happened so even if her mom had just passed away you know naturally or whatever and she had to go into the real world i don't think she'd be very prepared then either for kind of you know what how things are i don't think it's even just kind of being locked away for this bit like I I just I really hope that she has people around her um, who are really going to support her and help her through this. And I do have to say, I saw an interview with just a piece of it um, with her stepmom. And she said that they are going to do Christmas when she gets out, that they have a tree they're putting up, um, that she got a bunch of presents. And she said that she really like went overboard kind of getting presents for Gypsy. So it does seem like she has, you know, her husband and then her father and that whole family over there who are all behind her 100%. So all we can hope for is the best, that she's, you know, going to get out and just be a success story. So now I'm forgetting, what was the status of the father when we were hearing the story unfold? Like, I thought we just thought he was sort of persona non grata and not involved with the family at all. And we just didn't really know much about him at all. Yeah, I th- that was when we were kind of going into it. I think that was the case. And I, I want to say that Dee Dee really cut, was the one to just like totally cut him off. And I remember even like one scene in the act where he had called like I think he wanted to be involved in Gypsy's life. But Dee Dee was just kind of the the force to like really keep him away. Um, he called and wanted to wish her a happy 18th birthday. And Dee Dee was like, oh, don't don't tell her she's 18. She doesn't <gasps> need to like Ugh, classic you know, Dee Dee. Yeah, and so I think he he probably wanted to be involved and just kind of the way he and his family have embraced her now to me kind of validates that like yeah, it probably was Dee Dee keeping him away and isolating Gypsy from even her own father. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, that just goes to prove even further, not that we need any further proof that Dee Dee just tried to swindle everybody via Gypsy and her made-up illnesses. And including Gypsy herself. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like you said, I don't know, you know, if this hadn't happened, I think it would have been a terrible either like longer existence for Gypsy or she would have been the one, um, you know, who was killed in the end, sadly. Yeah, I agree. Wow. Well, that is exciting. December 28th, Let It Stand is Gypsy Rose Freedom Day. That's right. Gypsmiths. Gypsmiths. And we're celebrating and we couldn't be happier for Gyps. And hopefully she gets somebody to handle her and help her deal with all the attention she's going to get and all the requests for interviews oh probably. God. Trisha Paytas. Trisha Paytas. <laughs> oh my gosh. Our vote is with Trisha. I mean, if anybody's asking us who our vote's for, oh for who should get to interview Gyps first. I mean, her voice puts us at ease, so uh, it might do the same for Gyps. True, true. I just hope she's successful, you know, when she when she gets out. And if she does want to do these interviews, you know, I hope she takes advantage of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. So from one terrible mother figure to another. Good transition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we obviously have been covering the eight passengers, Jody Hildebrandt, Ruby Frankie case. And we had put out the special little episode previously when Ruby pled guilty. Well, we have another plea that just went through yesterday for our girl, Jode. Unbelievable. So December 27th, 2023. Jode comes up and pleads guilty to several counts. And in a lot of ways, this guilty plea reads very similarly to Rube's guilty plea. There are a lot of similar allegations, um, similar, you know, pleas, um, and which makes sense because they were really in cahoots together and yeah. um, they carried out this abuse of these different children together and as a unit and at the very least you know very kind of consolidated as a team so which is like we said last week very much Jody's brand to isolate the female in a um, spousal relationship and to get the female the wife on her side that is Jody's side and to start kind of carrying out her own wishes so that's exactly what she did with this family, um, just to sort of set the stage for this week and for this guilty plea. So just like um, Ruby, it appears that two of the counts against Jody were also dropped. So there's still four counts remaining, and they really do read very similar, um, similarly to Ruby's. I will say Jody's actually seem a little more vague than Ruby's, Um and one thing I did see, too, I don't know how true it is or, you know, whatever, was that her attorney or somebody was claiming that Jody had actually agreed and planned to plead guilty before Ruby's plea. I don't know if I believe that or not, but, um, you know, it probably was a smart move once Ruby's was approved to just kind of go off of the wording that she had in there. I will say, though, the one major difference I noticed, and this is just like, go, shows you the level of craziness and just like I don't know terrible how terrible these people are um in count four describing EF again this is the nine-year-old girl the youngest Frankie child um I'll just read the lie the line here um additionally the defendant Jody aka Jody uh either physically forced or coerced EF to jump into a cactus multiple times On- like Real. can you believe jump that? into a cactus like how do you even a think of this right like this is the mind of a sicko who likes torturing children mm-hmm. for their own sick reasons i mean she is looking to cause pain she's looking to cause harm and this is a child this yeah. is like a nine-year-old right yeah or a nine-year-old little girl yeah so it's just it's perverse it's sickening and again, I mean, this is just one of the allegations that we're hearing about. And this is what she's actively pleading guilty to. Right. I mean, just imagine the things that we don't know about. Yeah, exactly. And you got to think that, like, they're being advised to probably put in enough detail that nobody's going to, like, contest it. But also enough, just enough to kind of meet the burden or whatever you want to say but they're not going to go into all the nitty gritty details so I guarantee there's so much more that's probably been left out oh absolutely and yeah even the lead into that of like how that happened and why and oh it's just nauseating to even think that these children were subjected to 
this form of abuse by Jody and by their mother. So jumping back into the timeline from last week, we're going to start talking now. Remember, just a reminder, we were talking about Jody's niece, Jessie, and Jessie was a victim of Jody 10, 12 years before all of this even happened. So Jessie actually goes on to describe Jody's whole philosophy, and this is something we definitely are going to get into um, because J- Jess- Jody developed this whole terminology and um it's just kind of crazy it's definitely something that i think a lot of cults end up doing is creating their own kind of language uh so we we absolutely will get into it because it's a big part of the whole story um and, and just a heads up here her teachings are extremely convoluted they don't really make sense and we're going to do our best to kind of convey the meth- the method behind her teachings. But I got to be honest, I don't fully understand kind of the, the thought process behind it. But per Jesse's words, if you were anxious, depressed, had any kind of like mental illness at all, it was, according to Jody, a result of shame. And shame was the result of sin. So essentially, any mental health struggle was the result of sin. Great, great teaching. Yep. Yeah, and here we go again with the whole Chad Daybell, uh, wait, Chad, yeah, Chad Daybell, Lori Vallow type of, you know, tying in this religion, this religious aspect, which is already a bad sign if we're tying in the religion like right off the get go with any mental illness. Right. Um, Jesse gives the example that they were later diagnosed with ADHD. And Jody told them that they were continually, continually tapping their foot because there was so much shame and mm. thus so much sin in their body and it just had nowhere else to go. But great reason. Great explanation for just like a, a kid being bored and tapping their foot, you know? Well, and then it, it sets you up for failure because it's an actual mental illness. It's not sin in your body. Mm-hmm. And so you're not going to be able to succeed and overcome this. Um there also has been a lot of speculation about the youngest girl, the youngest child, EF, having ADHD. And I have to say, I think it is a thousand percent clear. I'm not a doctor, but from what I've seen that she likely does have ADHD. But Jody and Ruby, because of this whole belief about sin and, and shame and all this, do not believe that ADHD actually exists. Right. So there's no mental illness. There's just shame based right. on sins that you committed yeah and i'll say this kind of um perspective or or just kind of this outlook is important to keep in mind when thinking of ef but while keeping this in mind during jesse's story here because i think it does go to a lot of the abuse that ef and rf suffered right so jody as you can already tell was totally fixated on this idea of sin and confession And she was totally convinced that Jesse had sin that they hadn't confessed yet. And because of that, it needed to come out. It's coming out in these, you know, little ADHD type ways that we know are a reflection of having ADHD. But to Jody, they're just the sin escaping in other ways. Like your body is possessed or something. Essentially, it's crazy. Right. Um, So Jody was convinced that Jesse was a sex addict, a drug addict, and had multiple abortions. Which is crazy, too, because as a reminder, this is Jody's brother's child. And Jody convinced Jesse's parents to allow them, allow Jody to take Jesse under her care. 
And I believe Jesse said that Jody also had, um, Jody was actually the legal guardian or uh, she was given those rights by Jesse's parents. So it's not like Jody just, I mean, by the law, Jody didn't kidnap Jesse. Um, so Jesse's parents had to consent to this. I guess what I'm trying to say is that Jesse's parents would have known, I think, whether or not their child had multiple abortions. Right. The other stuff, okay, that might be able to be hidden, but like multiple abortions, I think that would be able to be verified by the parents. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially because if you're under 18, you can't consent to getting an abortion without your parent or legal guardian and involved. they're in Utah. So let's just add that on top of yeah, it. Where so this good type luck of stuff finding is, someone. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So again, Jody's claiming that Jesse has all these different addictions and had all these abortions done. And Jesse confirms that at this point, it, they were from an extremely devout Mormon family and had barely kissed anybody by this time. They think maybe like two people. Mm-hmm. And Jody had convinced Jesse that they had a masturbation problem when Jesse didn't even know what masturbation was. They didn't even really know that that was an option. Yeah, so with their with their body is what they said. Is I guess knowing about like male anatomy being able to masturbate, but like had no idea that someone with uh, their anatomy would be able to even masturbate. Yeah, so it it just goes to show that Jody is telling these tall tales. She's making things up and pinning all this blame on Jesse, who didn't even know that these different activities were possible. And so as a result of this supposed masturbation addiction or problem, Jody wouldn't let Jesse use tampons, oh which is just sick, twisted, weird. I mean, you know, anybody who's ever used a tampon knows that it is far from pleasurable. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it is, is not... a tiny little thing that, you know, is there to absorb blood and to take care of, you know, feminine hygiene. It has nothing to do with sexual gratification or anything of that nature so yeah it's just it's bizarre that jody even made this leap and just goes to show that the one who's perverted and has weird ideas about how things are done is jody well that's exactly what i was gonna say is by like i doubt this even ever crossed jesse's mind obviously about a tampon being anything like that and i gotta say a lot of this is similar to the mormon church Um, on ideas like uh, pornography and masturbation and stuff, talking about this to children way before it's they even know what it is or whatever this idea then gets planted in their mind right where it's like, i like it, where it wouldn't even... have even been there before <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and it's like ugh, who's pushing the issue who's right who's creating this right whole thing exactly yep um, but obviously, because these are not actual medical treatments, um, Jesse wasn't getting any better. And Jody said that she wanted to make Jesse, now here again, let's think of poor RF and EF. Um, Jody wanted to make Jesse so physically uncomfortable that it would force the sin out of them. Yeah. And it goes back to just those sick ideas that Ruby had about let me cause physical pain to yes, my children. Yes. You know, let me make it so uncomfortable, so painful, so disturbing that there's no choice but to my for my children to confront the sin and to stop sinning. Well, we know from Chad and his experience at Wilderness Death Camp that making somebody physically uncomfortable doesn't do well to control their quote-unquote no. sin. Because immediately, right, as they picked <laughs> right, him up from death right. camp, Chad was hanging RF or EF or whoever it was yep. from the basketball 
um, hoop. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just, it's convoluted and it's wrong, yeah. frankly, just wrong headed. It doesn't make any sense and doesn't work. No. And that's a, that's a good point to bring back because I forgot about when she was holding her kids home from school having them clean the baseboards and she literally Ruby literally said this out that loud that it didn't make them uncomfortable enough right they weren't physically uncomfortable enough by being made home made to stay home and clean the baseboards she wanted to make them feel more pain than this so she she literally is saying it out loud well and again I mean we've been saying all along that Jody is sort of winding her way into the lives of this family and this is one clear way where you can hear the language is exactly the same oh my god the you know purpose of these different lessons is exactly the same it's all Jody's philosophy just like getting into the Frankie family and you know infiltrating and starting to um influence how ruby disciplines her children and it's crazy too that this is like over a decade and it's the same exact like same exact terminology same exact method it's crazy um so jesse was never allowed to be alone oh at bathroom door anyone off the hand uh handcuffing erf to ruby Mm -hmm. um no privacy no yeah no no personal space nothing um, so Jody brought Jesse to work with her at the time and locked them in essentially what was like a windowless closet while Jody saw clients in her office. Oh, this reminds me of like the Chokey from Matilda. Oh my God, yes. Oh, yes. like Jody is literally Miss Trutchbull, and that's a movie. That's a comedy movie. Yes. Like that you think of as being just like, like exaggerated. Yeah. yeah. Like, and this is real life. Yeah. This is what Jody thought was a fit punishment, quote unquote, for things that weren't even Jesse's bad doing or wrongdoing. Right. It was just manifestations of their ADHD. And so at the time too, uh, it's just, it's textbook. Jesse's story lines up so like, perfectly sadly with rf and efs um at the time jody was living in the the very cold utah climate as we know now she's living in a very desert like hot you know utah climate uh just as a side note i never realized how big utah actually is i just think utah and you know it's all kind of the same over there yeah but the climate can changes vastly from uh north to south um so where Jody was living at the time, it was this very cold climate. So with this climate in mind, um, Jesse claimed that they were made to run sprints every night for hours outside in the winter snow. This is like prisoner of war it stuff. Is. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. And this this is scary. Um, one time Jesse reached their limit when Jody told them to run sprints. And they turned around and just said no and, and you know, wouldn't run. So when Jesse then turned around, turned their back on Jody to walk away, Jody punched them in the back, knocking them down. Nuts. Like, and this is Jesse's aunt. Right. Like, a family member. Again, I Ugh. mean, it's just, it's crazy to think that anyone would be comfortable treating anyone like this. Yeah. But a, a, a child and B, your own family member is nuts. Yeah. And it's just like past the scope of conscionable. So like we kind of mentioned before, um, Jody's abuse really stemmed from this kind of religious philosophy, very entrenched in the Mormon belief, this kind of warped, again, Chad uh, Daybell, Lori Vallow, 
religious Mormon belief. Jesse was told that they were bad and that what Jody was doing to them was for their own good. I don't know if you'll remember, but in um, the in the I think it was Ruby's plea and actually probably in um, Jody's in Jody's plea deal as well uh, on some of the counts for RF and EF. RF said, um, you know, that what was being done to them was their own. It was because they were bad. They deserved it. It was their fault. Same with EF. And not to jump ahead, but in the um, 911 call that's been released from the neighbor who found RF after he escaped. Oh, my God. This poor, like, older gentleman. You can hear him on the phone. He actually starts to break down and cry oh. because the abuse, like, the physical uh, wounds and, and whatnot are so bad and the poor little boy um the the caller the neighbor relays to the 911 caller that the little boy is saying that everything that was done to him was his fault and that he Ugh. deserved it and it, it was he was you know bound up and whatnot because it was his fault and it's just heartbreaking to hear yeah. um and know. that just goes to show like how entrenched these beliefs were yeah, and how firmly they were pushed into all these children. I mean, these children were really made to believe, okay, I brought this on myself yeah. by sinning and this is my own fault. This was, I, I brought it on myself and I shouldn't have sinned. I shouldn't have, a lot of the time it seems like, you know, these kids didn't even know what they did wrong or they did something again that the punishment just does not fit the crime. It's so disproportionately out of whack with what was quote unquote done. Yeah. And it just doesn't make any sense. And it's cruel for the sake of being cruel. And I'll say this too. Um, I'm just thinking back on a, like, I, I feel like Ruby was prime for this kind of thinking. Um, I'm just thinking back on a, an episode when I was kind of looking for, clips and stuff to discuss this was before Jody was even in their life um I, I believe it was like before she had come into their life and this is Ruby's kind of warped thinking um so just thinking back to this one kind of clip Ruby comes up to EF and says um hey we're going to a movie would you like to go to a movie this afternoon and the little girl she's even younger she's probably like five um in this clip she says what movie what movie are we seeing or what movie? And Ruby literally goes to punish her and says, <gasps> and says, well, it, what does it matter what movie? You should just be grateful and, and say, yes, mom, I'd like, oh, I'd love to go to a movie. You shouldn't be, Ugh. you know, answering me with what movie. And then she goes on to literally try to call a babysitter to make EF stay home while she takes the rest of them to the movies because EF didn't respond how she wanted her to respond. And, and it was again, the most innocent, like, what movie? Yeah. I mean, she's just asking a question yeah. about what they're going to see. I mean, and in what world? I mean, clearly, Ruby and Jody, you know, their philosophy is just punishment, punishment, punishment. Yeah. And find anything that's remotely punishable or not. Yeah. And just pick whatever and seize on it and punish it. But I think that example, again, because it was like, pretty much right before Jody kind of came into their life it's a perfect example that Ruby was already kind of going down this road of thinking and yeah Jody may have been kind of the match that like set it off but like Ruby was ready to go and could was like on board as soon as this kind of thinking was presented to her so yeah I mean more of just the internalizing of the punishment 
Jesse really internalized the whole I'm being punished because I'm bad, I'm a sinner thing. And they thought that they were truly an evil person. And it actually took them a decade to realize that they weren't the devil. They weren't evil. They weren't manipulating people. And, you know, there wasn't a devil inside them. But, I mean, this is the cause of a ton of mental anguish on Jesse's part. And later on, they actually had multiple suicide attempts and were diagnosed with complex PTSD resulting from the trauma from Jody. So it just goes to show you, I mean, these are real lasting, horrific results from just being punished over and over and over again and made to feel guilty for your own punishment. Yeah. And I'll say I'm I'm glad too in the, um, so I don't think we mentioned or, or, kind of knew when we were talking about the plea deal for Ruby, there were two charges that were dropped. Um, later came to find out those were the malnutrition um, charges. But I'm glad that the two charges, two of the charges that were left in had to deal with kind of this mental anguish and just this like long term yeah. impact that this is going to have on these kids because of this kind of thinking over this, you know, long period of time. Um, so I'm glad that, you know, that was kept in there. Yeah, yeah, because we can see very clearly how impactful this treatment was. And not just for, you know, a year, two years, whatever, for a decade in Jesse's case. So Jody had them convinced that she was fighting the devil that was inside of Jesse and inside of other people. And from the Mormon perspective and the Mormon background, Jesse was actually very taken with Jody and in awe of her. Because she was taking on the devil every day, you know, according to her own testimony. So Jesse's kind of sitting back like, wow, this woman, my aunt, is willing to take on the devil for me and right. to, you know, exercise my demons. And for all these other people, too. She's just right. like an amazingly powerful person. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, oh, it's really, it's sad. And um, Jody also said, and this is interesting because, again, it's something that Jesse and if she used this tactic with other children or other people couldn't control but Jody would say that she was having dreams about sins that Jesse was committing and these types of revelations through dreams is also a really prevalent belief among Mormons so it's just another way that Jody is using the religiosity of these people to sort of twist her own rhetoric into these the minds of her victims yeah and I think it's hard for somebody who I'll be honest a lot of people say that Mormonism is a cult um I guess we're not going to say that necessarily on this podcast but um it, it does rise to the level of for people that are devout in the religion it is like intertwined and it is their everything right um it, it just you know is a part of every part of their life of their life so you have someone like jody who is um using kind of their own terminology their own thinking against them and if it's that real and that important to them they're thinking oh my god i i have sin in me i'm the devil and you know again that light and dark like chad and and Lori here um, Jody's kind of the good person and it's it just is an e even worse way than just being an abusive person I feel like it's taking your own kind of thinking and using it against you yeah that's so true um 
Yeah. Yeah. So Jesse actually got to a point where they had confessed all of their sins, but Jody kept saying she knew that there was more. So again, it's just like, oh, it must be so confounding to someone like Jesse, who's a victim, and you have this person who's up on a pedestal, Jody, you know, who's fighting the devil day after day and who's saying, I know that there's more sins inside you that you haven't yet confessed to. And Jesse said that they actually resorted to essentially going back to benign past events and twisting them so that they could turn them into some kind of a sin in their mind. So they're pretty much just making stuff up at this point. Exactly. And they're just trying to do anything to confess and satiate Jody's need and pursuit of the source of Jesse's sins. Because again, Jody just keeps saying, there's more, there's more, there's more. Jesse keeps saying, God, I don't, I really don't know. Like, I really don't have anything. I'm going to have to really reach here and just create false memories, which I mean, must have, again, just been such a mind fuck for poor Jesse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we'll remember again, too, kind of looping it back to the beginning of the philosophy that we were talking about that to kind of get this sin out, you've got to be made to be as physically uncomfortable as you can be. So again, you can just kind of think finding RF bound and, you know, in the position that he was, it was probably the same type of thing where Jody is just saying there's more sin, there's more sin. And he's just, you know, can't think of anything else. So she, she binds him up to, you know, make him as physically uncomfortable as, um, you know, she can. Um, so just a couple other in- incidents that Jesse described, they were very isolated. Um, they were in the house again with Jody and her two children, but they were, their mouth was duct taped and they were told that they weren't able, allowed to speak to anyone. Um, this was in the house. This was at church, anything like that. Um, when Jody brought them to church, they didn't have the duct tape on their mouth, but they said that one time a parishioner came up and said, are you okay? And Jesse was so afraid because Jody said, I have people watching and they're going to report back mm, that they typical just abuser. Yeah. That they just like stared at the person and didn't even answer because they were too afraid to speak. Ugh. Um, but back in the house, they actually got to the point where Jody said, you know, you can't even be in the same room with anybody else. Oh, my gosh. So if one of Jody's children wanted to go in the kitchen and Jesse was in there, they would go to Jody and say, hey, they're in there. I want to go in. And Jody would say, all right, you need to go and stand in the hallway, you know, until they're done. Like, you cannot be physically in the same room with them. The other crazy incident, just again, thinking back to the snow and everything, Jody actually made Jesse for a period of time sleep out on Jody's balcony in the snow um, with a sleeping bag. Jody had told Jesse's parents that they were in like, you know, like an Arctic kind of very equipped for the snow kind of sleeping bag when really it was just like a cheap Walmart sleeping bag. They were making Jesse sleep out in like the Utah winter. And Jody's reasoning for having Jesse sleep on this balcony was because um, they Jody couldn't have them in the house because um, she was afraid that Jesse was gonna kill her in her sleep. Oh my! Like God. just making up all this crazy, crazy stuff. Unbelievable. And like, 
Jody's lucky that Jesse didn't die out there. I, I swear, like, that is the thing. Je- Jody is very lucky that none of these kids have died on her watch. Yeah. At least that we know of. I mean, ugh. And it sounds like a couple close calls like this. I mean, you can't just leave a kid outside with a cheap Walmart sleeping bag in the winter of yeah, Utah. Of Utah. Like, and uh, Jesse said that the balcony was really like one of those balconies where it's really just designed for your doors to open, not for you to like go out and walk around out on it's really just so your doors could open and then there's like a little ledge so they were essentially like wedged between the doors and and the balcony rails or whatever in this sleeping bag couldn't even move really oh in the snow miserable it's torture it's torture it's absolute torture um but eventually they did thankfully escape so Jesse did try to run away three different times. And spoiler alert, they did eventually successfully run away. And that's why they're here to tell the tale, probably. Um, but we recently learned that RF tried to run away once before his successful escape in August, which is where he went to the neighbor and the neighbor found him and he was in a horrible state. Um, but in any event, for RF's first attempt to run away... When he was found, the punishments got so much worse. This is really similar to Jesse's experience where things would just get worse and worse um, the more that they, quote unquote, sinned. So um, one time, Jesse ran away to the neighbors. And Jesse was a minor at that time who was under Jody's control as their guardian. And Jody, oh my gosh, unfortunately... The neighbors didn't know what to do with Jesse. They just returned them to Jody. And I, I don't even know how you would feel as that neighbor oh now with, oh in my retrospect God. to yeah. think, oh, my gosh, I returned this child who was the victim of all this abuse to Ugh. their caretaker, who I thought was their guardian, their rightful guardian, and was just taking care of them. And oh my gosh, to know that you returned them to this horrible situation is really heartbreaking. And I guarantee that that person knows this story of RF and EF because especially in Utah, that is a small world all over the news, that story. And they're like, Jody Hildebrand. I remember Jody, you know, I mean, because this case has gone like almost international or whatever, but Utah in particular, no way that that person hasn't seen, you know, the news and given that a second thought, like, I wonder what happened to that child that ran away to my house. Oh, it's really sad. Yeah. So another time Jesse ran away and they ran to the police and it was the exact same situation. Unfortunately, Jody had custody over Jesse. So Jesse again was returned back to Jody by the police. Yeah. And I'll I'll say, just thinking back to this, I think this was a time, especially in Utah, I think the laws might have changed a little bit now. I'm not totally sure. Um, but with a, dealing with a lot of polygamous runaways too, um, this would happen a lot where the child would run away and essentially just be returned by the police because they were a minor, even though it was like a clear, you know, polygamous, polygamous kind of situation. situation. Yep. Ugh. So we're going to describe the final time momentarily. And again, Jesse was eventually successful, which is great news, but Obviously, it took escalating punishments and being returned multiple times to get there. And it, it's kind of like we were saying, and this actually, again, sadly, but does kind of tie into both 
Gypsy's story and then RF and EF's story is that if they didn't get out of there, I, I don't know if they would have come out of there alive. Jesse, RF, EF, and Gypsy. So true. Um, so after one of Jesse's failed escapes, this is kind of going into the increased punishment, um, Jody pulled them out of bed the next morning by the hair and blindfolded them. They uh, bound Jesse's wrists and ankles and put them in the back of her car. They drove hours into the mountains. And this is kind of the warped thinking again of Jody. Um, so picture this. You have a bound child <laughs> in the back of your car driving hours. Jody had to stop to get gas and told Jesse, get down, on, like yelling at them, like get down on the floor. Don't let anybody see you. If if anybody sees you, that's you manipulating them into thinking there's something wrong. Wow. Like, <laughs> and again, yeah, just um, psychological mind tricks here and gaslighting. Yeah. I mean, it's your own fault that you're bound and tied right. up in the back of an adult's car. Right. Exactly. Like, huh? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And like Jesse described, like they were looking at Jody as, you know, almost like this god. Um, so they're not thinking, you know, oh, wait, hold on a second. This is really messed up. Um, so Jody drove hours into the mountains and then made Jesse run up and down the mountain for six hours straight. And this is really messed up, too. Jesse said they later found, so I guess Jody was at the top, that their other grandparents, so not the ones on Jody's side, but on their mother's side, came and stood at the bottom of the hill of the mountain to make sure that Jesse didn't run away. Oh, my God. Like, Jody had everybody thinking that she was doing the right thing, you know? And it just, it's crazy to me. Yeah, the manipulation is just crazy. Speaking of manipulation, which Jody was accusing Jesse of yeah, doing. Exactly. I mean, who's the real manipulator here? When you got the grandparents at the bottom of the hill, you're at the top of the hill, and you got a bound... <laughs> tied tarred feathered child in the back of your car and oh my gosh yeah so jesse's final escape and this is where we're going to end our episode today um so this is the third and final escape they decided they were done this this was it i'm out of here um they went and they actually hitchhiked and scary scary stuff to do luckily they were picked up by a nice couple who wanted to help them um, they were lying about their age. They said, I'm, I'm 18. We're trying to like hitch a ride with them wherever. Eventually the couple realized though, that Jesse was a minor kind of coerced it out of them because they said, look, we want to help you. But if you're a minor, kind of similar with the neighbor, you know, we could get in trouble here for harboring a minor and we don't want to subject ourselves to that. Um, so Jesse confessed, you know, that they were a minor and the couple said, all right, well, we're either going to take you to the police or to a shelter which do you want? And Jesse said a shelter. Um, so they stayed at the shelter and eventually, you know, became homeless for a period of time. Ugh. But this was their escape from Jody. Um, and I, I'll end this by saying, I think Jesse's story is absolutely worthwhile um, listening to if you want even more info and, um, you know, a better insight into kind of Jody's manipulation and, um, you know, just kind of the the horrors that she's put people through. Their 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 story um, is told on the Mormon Stories podcast. It's a long one, but if you know if this has kind of been a, a case that you've been interesting interested in following, I would definitely recommend going over and giving that podcast a listen. 
Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, we're on Facebook at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Instagram at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod, and our email is BetsyBossPodcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening. 